Welcome to a special XYZ three-episode series covering the X-Men film franchise. Zach and I watched all ten films, and we have thoughts. So the total series is about four hours. We recorded it all in one session, so that's why we split it up. There's a little bit of bleed in between, so you guys get a sense of you know where one where the conversation started and ended. The first part covers the George Floyd protests, Black Lives Matter. We give our thoughts on that, um, and X one all the way through X three. The second part covers Origins Wolverine all the way through Apocalypse, and the third part covers Logan and Dark Phoenix, and we also give our overall thoughts on the franchise. So yeah, enjoy. Let's dive in. Part one starts now. podcast the podcast where we talk about entertainment and the creative process i'm eco i'm your y i'm zach i'm your z and today's x factor we've got x-men yeah the the most x of x factors yeah absolutely and just before we get into that really like we'll let's take a time bit of time to discuss what's going on in the world and um you know this is probably going to be released a bit later but still it'll still be relevant um, right now we're looking at, uh, we're Tuesday, June 16th. So as you're listening to this, it's been maybe two weeks since the George Floyd protests have start have really taken effect and been in full swing. So we'll just take a minute to address, first of all, you know, that we stand with Black Lives Matter and we stand with our communities and yeah. our friends. And, uh, just a bit more about what you can do with that. I mean, there's various resources you can donate to, you know, personally I've donated to the ACLU and uh, there's also individual community efforts. It's, you know, everything is like, you know, choose your own level of comfort. You know, some people want to call their rep- reps, um, their senators, et cetera. That's valid. Some people want to go on the streets. That's valid. Stay safe. Wear your mask. It is still the time of the Rona. Um, other people, you know, they want to donate. Other people want to just uh, start educating and then amplifying. They're, they're, these are all valid. So, you know, um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to contribute. You know, just find your niche. And um, I'll say something about, like, listening, which was impactful for me, which is that I think, like, um, a, a big thing that individuals you can do on an individual level to make your space better for the um, the people in your life that you care about is to just give them, like, listening and really listen for what they're saying and don't add your own agenda to it and don't add your own judgments judgments to it you know be a space of like powerful listening for that because what that allows you to do is that that really lets you get into their world and then when you're in their world and it's not about yourself it's about them then you can understand their experiences and then you can you'll see more paths for action and you'll really become to understand and kind of separate you know you know it's it's you know the um separate the issues and really understand them instead of being reacting and like defending. So that's like one thing. And another, another thing I've really learned through all this is like, I, it's, um, it's, a, it's an improv cliche, but I, I really started to see yeah. it is the, the power of yes. And, and it's just, yeah. it's just like a lot of things people are saying they're, they're, they're simultaneously true. Right. I, I would say like, for example, like, um, I don't condone looting and I understand where it's coming from. And it also 
is not something that invalidates the movement. It just happens alongside it. And there's also protests. And yes, also the protests make it easier for looting to happen. And that's also not their intent either. And that's not um, what this thing is about. So, and also just like there's other valid things that like, I, you know, that if you come, if the person speaking about it comes from a perspective of but, then it feels like it invalidates what uh, you're also saying. And yeah. if, if you can turn it yeah. around and let them see the end of it, then you can both exist and be and be okay with it. You know, for example, one thing was just like a theme of like personal responsibility for for your own life and like avoidance of vict- victimhood. Which, I mean, that's been used as an excuse to invalidate like the struggles that people have that the black community faces. And I think, um, and again, if you speak about it from the butt perspective, then yeah, that that invalidates it. However, if you, it's an and thing where it's like, yes, every individual. Like, the best way that they have to improve their own life is through their own work. Yes, that's true. And there's also this other aspect to it where, like, we have systemic injustice and inequality that that should be addressed as well. So, yeah, if you come at from the end, you can both exist in that space and acknowledge um, the point that each is trying to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I really do think, like, a lot of times... Uh, as far as like taking some of that, uh, you know, personal responsibility and um, some of the ways that people get in the way with, but is a lot of times, you know, whenever like something like white privilege gets brought up, mm-hmm. you get um, uh, you get an angry white guy who looks a little like me uh, <laughs> uh, uh, saying something along lines of like, oh, but like I still have struggle. Like it doesn't invalidate the fact the fact that you have white privilege doesn't mean you have an easy life necessarily. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't mean you are affected by. Uh, things such as, um, you know, systemic issues uh, that mm. that do specifically affect uh, black people and people of color. Yep. Um, and um, I don't know. I, I've definitely been recognizing recently. I've been trying to, like, read what I can. Mm. Uh, and I definitely uh, think it's important to, like, recognize things uh, within uh, yourself uh, sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely like every time I read, read the word white for, uh, fragility and just like read a little bit more into the definition of it. Yeah. I start to think to myself, Oh, I've definitely had that reaction within me, mm-hmm. uh, where I do get a little bit fragile. And I do when I'm confronted with racial issues, uh, where I almost don't want to confront it. And I think it's important. Um, uh, I, it's important to not just go around being like, Hey, I, I'm not a racist. I'm one of the good ones. Uh, it's important to actively uh, work a- and uh, make sure that you are actively trying to combat racism where you see it uh, and keeping yourself informed. I think our base state as humans, this is kind of how I've felt for a while. Do you know, do you know the musical Avenue Q? This is going to be really dumb. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually, yeah, I actually did watch it for like, um, just as a reference for when I was going through the musical improv program in second city. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched yeah. it. Uh, you know, the song, everybody's a little bit racist. Yeah. Yep. I've kind of just been using, this is once again, this is a dumb way of looking at a much larger issue, but, uh, I, I think that the song everybody's a little bit racist is kind of just inherently true. Our base state mm-hmm. is tribalism. It is, it is a little bit racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, uh, especially, you know, white people, people in power, um, uh, who are generationally the system benefits. 
uh, kind of need to reckon with that and recognize in themselves. Yes, I, I am a little bit racist, even if I, I say I'm not. Um, and what I can do, and instead of, you know, uh, instead of backing away from that and being fragile about that, yeah. uh, just do your best to be better. Yeah. Uh, and to improve. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'll add to that a little bit, which is that like, I mean, you know, there's, there's a thing where, um, especially in the, I'd say the older generation, when you say like somebody's racist, you know, the, the immediate leap is to believe that that means that person's evil. They're bad. They're actively like, they're like actively in the KKK or something like that. Right. That they're, you know, you know, all this, all the way over to the evil side of things. And it's like, you know, first off, it, it, it's a continuum anyways. And also it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, yeah, you've done, you, maybe you've done something that was maybe quote unquote bad. However, that doesn't make you a bad person. And that doesn't like, like being able to have that, you know, exist in your mind that it doesn't make you a bad person because it's, you know, fairly, sometimes it's understandable and sometimes it's like um, it just originates from your environment. It's just like, yeah, that helps you. If you if you don't make yourself wrong for having these beliefs, then you can actually resolve them more easily. It's kind of like it's like it's like the it's like when you fight something very hard, it it like the the reaction is for that thing to be defensive about it, right? So if you can be avoid that defensiveness by also avoiding judging yourself about it then that allows you to actually dismantle those structures in your own mind more easily and what like one thing i've recognized is that you know again talking speaking about fragility like one way that it you know manifests is like this idea of like tears or like white tears i've as i've heard it and it's like you know there you know i don't want to invalidate anybody's genuine emotion about like oh this you know that they're they're sad about what's happening However, there's mm-hmm. also there's also another aspect to that, which is that like many people have grown up with the, um, using crying or shedding tears as a shield, being like, "Look at how much you've hurt me." Like that makes you wrong for hurting me, so stop doing that. You know? Yeah, and it's kind of uh, an avoidance technique to actually confront real issues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah. you know, just realize one thing to realize. I, I realized this for myself in a different context, which is a lot of that stuff is like self-generated. I made in order to like manipulate somebody to give me something, you know, in the past, I developed a pattern where I was like, oh, I'm going to make myself feel bad about this. So or maybe it's not even the manipulation because later I recognized that, you know, that was an anti-pattern uh, that but it just I still had that original pattern, which was like, oh, I'm going to make myself feel bad to try to justify that, oh, you you wronged me somehow, you know? So recognizing that self-created, you can also yeah. then give that up and, you know, transform and move forward. Absolutely. Definitely, I've fallen into that trap before. Uh, and, and, and also just, I don't know, speaking generally uh, on, on the protests and on uh, police brutality, uh, in our country and, and, and how it is very racially motivated, um, is also just, I don't know, keep fucking fighting out there. You know, we, people, people were on the streets, have been on the streets fighting this same thing for years. Uh, I mean, Ferguson was six years ago. Um, 
this is this is something that it seems to be like a repeated pattern in, in American history, and I just think uh, it's important that like you know we 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 don't forget it in two weeks, yeah. um, which is why it's important that we address it on this podcast uh, because we don't want to just forget it and just talk about the X Men and just the X Men. Yeah, uh, but it, it's important that we keep it in our conversation and and like you know uh, do things like like obviously the, all the movies that we're going to be talking about right now are all directed by uh, white guys. They're comics written by white guys, um, and, and so maybe. This this message comes slightly hollow, but definitely uh, seek out um, entertainment from different voices. Uh, seek out black writers, uh, yeah. not just like, like obviously, you know, eat your vegetables, watch the 13th on Netflix or whatever. Uh, but don't just do that. Uh, read. Uh, I, I've got a uh, read N.K. Jemison. Uh, she's great. She's a black sci fi writer. Uh, she kicks ass. Uh, I remember hearing this short story that I heard LeVar Burton read on a podcast mm. uh, written by her. That was like it was just about the experience of going to a restaurant, but it was like a sci fi restaurant where you could taste anything. It was great. Um, start, you know, uh, purposely just including those voices and widening her, your horizons. You won't just um, broaden your mind, but you'll get better entertainment and a vaster uh a vaster pool of entertainment uh is out there in and it'll also uh help make sure that not all superhero movies are directed by white dudes yeah. i don't know yeah uh, <laughs> uh um uh yeah uh yeah i i always feel dumb speaking on anything like this because i am a, a white guy and i do think my job is a little bit to sit back and listen, but I think it's, uh, and there's obviously nothing that I can say, uh, to any person of color that I think is, um, that there's nothing that I can really say that I think, uh, will be truly understanding, uh, of the issues, um, that you go through. Um, but I just want to say that I'm here and I'm listening. Uh, and also, if I said something dumb, tell me. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is the white guilt and white fragility coming through. It's still here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh... All right. So let's get on to the X-Men conversation. <laughs> yeah. After that. Yeah. We took up like 15 minutes with that, which is this is totally cool. Um, yeah, we had a lot to good say, talk. so it's just, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so the X-Men, you were talking to me, we haven't, we recorded one episode during, uh, coronavirus at the very beginning and then we didn't really record much of anything, but yep. we've been chatting yep. and you've been telling me that you've been going through these Marvel animated cartoons yeah, on yeah. Disney plus. Yeah. Uh, and you, you seemed really into the X-Men. Yeah. Just the background of this is, hold on a second, this is a phone call, but. Um, I'll decline it. So, but the uh, the background of this has been that, uh, you know, just in the course of working or, and being bored at times, it's just like I um, flip back and forth between TV shows and um, sometimes movies and sometimes video games for entertainment. So, um, I was just looking, I was just browsing through the uh, Disney Plus service and looking at what they have available. And it occurred to me that, oh, they have the old Spider Man animated series and the old X Men animated series. 
So I put them on my list to watch, and I just started, you know, started watching them. Uh, started talking to you about it, and like, they're just it's just kind of funny, like how how different some of those things are from your current, you know, expectations of given the uh, the movies that have come out later. Like I mentioned that, um, you know, we talked about this too. The uh, there's there's an episode of Spider Man animated series where it was basically Doctor Strange in twenty minutes. Uh, not exactly, yeah. but like you know, it gets it, it does a lot of what that movie does in only 20 minutes <laughs> and then yeah. it also has the spider-man stuff <laughs> i i watched that uh a little bit after you had mentioned it to me and it yep. was just like a breakneck pace uh it was just something was happening every three seconds and it was it just like never stopped yeah it was insane um uh and it it almost covered i feel like more than the movie in a weird amount of- <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah uh so that was just I funny mean, yeah it's weird how like superhero in pop superheroes in pop culture have kind of evolved to from those things that were just breakneck pace and in, in in uh weird kids tv shows to like long you know the the mcu movies yeah yeah where now we just accept a wizard we just accept a wizard live action pretty much right? yeah so I so once I started watching that I was you know I also got into the X Men a little bit too because I knew I I just knew that like that so my memory this is this is kind of the story is like my memory of that was that I had seen random episodes here or there in my childhood or caught like the end of episodes and I was like confused as hell there was always this thing where it's like previously on the X Men and I was like but I didn't see that so what so like I'm getting not any part of the story so there there was this idea that. Um, there's this great overarching thing that would be really nice and beautiful to watch. And so there was always mm-hmm. that desire for me to go back and revisit that. And I tried maybe like five, six years ago. I don't remember exactly the time. Um, I tried to do that and I couldn't get into it for whatever reason. And, you know, I was like, you know, maybe I'll try again now. So I tried again and I started and I actually did get into it. And at this point, I'm basically three and a half seasons in. I've seen you know, all of season one and two, and then on season three, I'm, I'm basically at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. I finished that. Okay. Yeah. We're going to talk later. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to like ask when we get to those, how those compare to the movie adaptations. For sure, for sure. Uh, the, the Dark Phoenix there. I'm very intrigued i don't yeah. know has it yeah. been good so far i i only i watched a couple episodes to like check in w- with what you were saying but yeah. i've been the reason i was like we should do an x-men episode is because mm. you were taught you were texting me about those while at the same time i was like reading the most recent x-men comics yeah and just like really in an x-men mind uh and was like oh let's just let's find like a middle ground which is the movies and talk about them yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> and I, I had been like looking at as i was watching these uh the animated series i was like man like there are these movies and i don't really remember like a lot of them and there's there's a lot more movies than i remembered you know again my vague impressions of certain things where it was just like for example i had I think I was in a Best Buy or something and I saw the end of Apocalypse and I was like, this is so weird and like different that I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So that put me off for a while too. Then, you know, re- revisiting that and with the, you know, oh, this is kind of cool. And this is specifically, it was talking to you about like um, the animated series. You were just like, dude, like all this stuff is like standard in comics where it's like breakneck pace, like crazy shit happens. Sometimes it's unexplained. Sometimes you have no idea what the hell's going on, but it's just, you know, crazy soap opera stuff. 
And I was like, oh, oh. especially for like 80s X-Men, yeah. which is what that's based off of. Yeah. Uh, Chris Claremont, who's kind of like the mastermind of the X-Men, uh, just like stuffs in shit. This is the Dark Phoenix saga I'm holding in front of you. Yeah. And like, it's just, he's got like narration on just every fucking page. Yeah. He's like packs it full. The Dark Phoenix saga is like eight issues and like 80 things happen. And they also <laughs> introduce a bunch of major new characters like Kitty Pride yep. and Emma Frost and the Dazzler all are introduced in that period. Yep. Um, and it is a huge fucking soap opera where it's overly dramatic and there are weird plot twists of, oh, this person's dead, but there's a clone of them right there. Um, uh, which is superhero comics in general, but I think like X-Men is the most indicative of that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the movies kind of continue that. Yeah, uh, yeah. With their weird continuity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like once I'd realized that this was like kind of standard, it adjusted my mindset a little bit for the movies. And I was like, oh, OK, I kind of accept this, like the ridiculous soap opera nature of this now. So that so that made that gave me the extra push to also want to rewatch them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had never, I had seen most of them. Uh, but I think like after you and I had talked about it, I was like, oh, this will also just be a good excuse to watch the one I hadn't seen, yeah. which was the dark Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, but also I, I have expressed to eco over text a few times that I have some, some, con uh, so not, uh, so, some conflicted opinions with yeah. some of these movies. Yeah. Uh, so at, at some points, you know, especially with world events, it was just like hard to be like, this is now what I want to be doing with my, my time off is watching, uh, my least favorite ones in the mo in the series, but like rewatching some of them, it was a lot of fun. It yeah. Was actually, it was fun. And yeah. I like, I like talking you about them <laughs> yeah so just to give a little bit more background on what i had seen before this i had seen x1 2 and 3 and then specifically mm -hmm. uh wolverine origins before this um and then did you stop after that yeah i stopped at that point i think i might have like watched one two and three slightly out of order at some point or maybe just like maybe very long like long time apart i don't remember which ones i see i saw in theaters um i mean growing up like in my in high school it was just like I didn't really go to movies that much. It was just a weird thing of a weird time in my life as far as like compared to like a like a, you know, a normal American upbringing. It's like it was just not that like movies weren't that much of a thing that I watched at the time. So I had that hole in my pop culture knowledge. But then I would watch them at, you know, whether it's through Netflix or some other service streaming on the Internet, then I would like piece it together. So this is the first time I think I strictly done it in order. Huh? Yeah. Except for th in this case, I didn't do Origins at, in the um, release order, but that that's a different story because I had actually remember that a lot. That's why I didn't yeah. do that. Yeah, I, I had a good, like relatively good recollection of it, or I thought I did. <laughs> did you remember liking it? I remember liking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I remember your text to me right after you rewatched it, which was uh, yeah. <laughs> not a positive text. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cool. So starting with X1. So X. X-Men uh, came out in 2000, directed by uh, Brian Singer, who is a bad person. Uh, um, <laughs> just get specific uh, on that a little bit. Just um, okay. specifically what? Yeah. I feel like we need to get this out in the air and it needs to be addressed because yeah. I think if we're going to cover these movies, we do need to just quickly mention yeah. um, that uh, Brian Singer directed four of them. Uh is um 
is a sexual predator. Uh, he um, would throw parties. Uh, there would be young boys there. Uh, he would take advantage of them. Uh, he is not somebody good. Uh, there are many other people involved in these movies. There are many other things involved in these movies. His touch is definitely on these movies. He definitely had influence on them. He was the director. Uh, he's not a great guy. And it was kind of an open secret then. Now it's very well known. The movie Bohemian Rhapsody uh, came out. Um, and his name was taken off of it because we have gotten to a point where at least we can address these things and talk about how they're, uh, you know, not great people involved with them. And I think it's important to have context in them. Mm -hmm. I do think this is also a movie series that is a little bit uh, director based. So it kind of can't ignore the whole director factor. Yeah. Uh, and on that note, I also just want to mention that Brett Ratner who directed the third one, X-Men the last stand also has uh, some sexual harassment allegations um, from women he's worked with. Okay. Uh, so I want to clear that out. I want to address the elephant in the room uh, and I'm going to try and mention those people as little as possible, but I have a compulsion where I have to talk about directors. Mm -hmm. um, uh, those guys are bad. Uh, I don't like anything they did. And uh, I don't even think they're that great of a directors. But that's another story. And that doesn't matter with the fact that they're uh, that that shouldn't matter uh, as to uh Everything else. Anyways, okay. X-Men 2000 was a movie that came out in 2000. Uh, two mutants, Rogue and Wolverine, come to a private academy for their kind, whose resident superhero team, the X-Men, must oppose a radical group of mutants led by Magneto in the face of anti-mutant legislation. Uh, yeah. so that's the summary. The summary, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just a quick, quick, quick one-sentence thing. Um, uh, obviously, there's a lot more to it. Uh, yeah. yeah, what were your thoughts? So, okay, so the first note I had was the interpersonal stuff was way better than the action. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, the action, uh, you know, the, our technology's gotten a little better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, a, a part of it, I think, feels like the budget or just being one of the first movies that, you know, to tackle this. Um, but, uh, to be honest, like the action looks pretty jank <laughs> in this movie. Um, I mean, this happens throughout the other films too, where kind of the, um, it's floaty. So it's very obviously kind of wire work. Um, yeah, yeah the, the, the speeds and velocities and the acceleration that people move through the air definitely feel like are not corresponding to gravity. Basically it's like visually you see like, I, 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 I nerded out about this a little bit because it's like when you when you do do it correctly, it looks a lot more athletic because it, you're used to that kind of you've seen that on sports. So you've seen that in real life. So you kind of recognize that extra athleticism um, or that feeling of that when you see it. So this movie definitely did not have that. It was very wire based, very floaty, um, which is cool on its own. You know, it's just a different type. It's a different reality. There was like a weird dorkiness to it sometimes. If you'd see like, I don't know, like storm flying through. Mm -hmm. I, I just have like, an image of her with her like arms spread out where she's kind of flying down and it definitely looks very wire work, yeah. worky. But I think there are some effects that work fairly decently. And it's like part of it is just the way they tell the story with the powers. Uh, there's a scene where they go to save Rogue from the train station. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of that looks silly. But as they're walking out, uh, Magneto... Uh, 
basically every time Magneto uses his powers, I think it looks cool. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of the cooler moments, in my opinion. It's when there's all the police outside the train station. Yeah. Uh, they fire their guns at him. He pauses all the bullets and then, like, points the bullets back at – or, no, it's – he points their guns at them, fires them, and has, like, the bullets – just like boring into their forehead. Yeah. And I think like, it's a good intimidating, terrifying moment uh, for a villain. Uh, though that's less action. Like, I don't know. Does that count as an action scene? Yeah, It's more yeah. of an effect scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I agree with you there. I, I, in a lot of these, like, this is a general note for the series is that like Magneto is a very watchable character and they have good yeah. actors playing him a lot of the times and his powers, they, they when they showcase it, it's really a good showcase for the most part. And, you know, there's there's a little bit of a problem with that is in that maybe, like, the effect of that wears off over time, which is something, like, it's one of my theories that I was going to talk, talk to you about. But I see we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that actual part of it, you know. Um, yeah. In this case, you know, it's just, it's just, it's a really cool scene. And I think that would probably hold up. It's um, not, like, a super set piece. It's just, like, oh, you know, demonstrating his powers. And it's... Yeah, it's just very cool. I think it's very cool. Um, so. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely like other ones. Like, I don't know. I'm envisioning Sabretooth uh, attacking Wolverine in the mm-hmm. in Canada, and it it was like another thing that looked kind of dorky. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's see. The other thing I wrote about Magneto, just the effort, the effortlessness of his powers. His plan plan actually kind of makes sense. Even you know, there's there's still the problem that it like the machine doesn't work right, but yeah, at least the idea kind of makes sense. And then, uh, and it's actually kind of nonviolent, you know, for him, for him. And then, um, no, obviously not very consensual, but very, but, but still pretty nonviolent if it had worked out properly. And then, yeah, he's uh, a machine that turns people into mutants. And the yep. idea is let's put them in mutant shoes, except it, you know, it kills the one guy it, it, it works on. Yep. Uh, the Senator. Yeah. And I, um, let's see. So the, and then the registration act, they make a great parallel to, you know, what happened in Germany, um, you know, with this, especially, or in this case, Poland, but you know, in world war two, Germany, Holocaust and the registration and having everybody numbered with on their forearms. And they bring that back as a reminder. And, um, I, I remember actually this, this is one of the first times I, I actually, in a director's sense, I saw that, um, Oh, the, the use of the um, specific camera angle where it's like zooming in on somebody's forearm is like, oh, that's him looking at it. That's Meg, mm-hmm. that's Eric, young Eric looking at that. Yeah. And actually, yeah, just, and just, the- just to speak on that scene a little bit is um, the, this is the first scene in the movie is basically um, his parents get him and his parents getting marched into Auschwitz is my uh, this is this is one of my earliest memories of the, of the film franchise. And this my memory of that actually wasn't from watching it. It was from one of my friends. Um, that I only knew online. I still only know online in an online context. He was just talking about like, dude, that was the best scene. That's like, it's, it's just, it, ha- it tells you everything you need to know about the franchise and what it's about. I mean, it's such like a powerful scene that they revisit it multiple times in other movies. Yep. Uh, it's like, I mean, I grew up, I mean, I'm Jewish. We're, we're told about the Holocaust all the fucking time. Yep. And uh, I, that is like one of the searing images of the Holocaust to me is like, cause it was, a, it was one of the few interactions with it and just like, you know, non-Jewish pop culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are many interactions with it, but like, it is just like an effective scene of him just like grabbing the gate and the gate just like kind of breaking. And of course, you know, first class, they do that is how they open first class is that they just do that scene again. Cause it's 
good. And it kind of tells you who Magneto is um, yep. a bit. I mean, obviously his Holocaust past is, is something that never escapes him. And it, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't, uh, yeah, it's, it's the formative moment for him. Uh, I, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I watched the the last stand is the one that's most fresh in my memory. Yeah. And there's a scene where he points to that tattoo uh, after some of the mutants are like, Oh, what are you? You're not a real mutant. If you're not marking yourself with a tattoo and he goes up to them and he's like, no one is ever touching my skin again. Uh, Last time that happened, I was not a fan. Um, And uh, yeah, that kind of shut everyone up really quick. (laughs) It's yeah. Uh, Like I said, it captures the, like the central premise of the entire franchise in like one, what maybe like three minute scene. And it's incredibly powerful. You know, so, yeah, it's like great scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This this one, I feel like was a cable TV. uh, uh, What's the word? Staple a cable cable TV staple for me. I feel like this is one of the this is this is the one that I might have seen the most. It's 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 fun. It's good. And it was also it came out in 2000. Uh, Superhero movies weren't really a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it kind of was in a lot of, I mean, obviously there were other superhero movies. You had Batman, you had Superman. Uh, But this was kind of the dawn of the superhero movie era. It came out before Spider-Man, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So you see a lot of things that become uh, more common in superhero movies, but you also see that there's, like a reality that they have to exist within that like the Marvel cinematic universe does not have to exist in. Uh, Like it, it kind of has to nail itself a little bit to reality um, because to make itself a little bit more believable because superhero movies weren't as common. People weren't uh, just comic book fans were the ones uh, like getting in the superhero genre Uh, outside of that. Most people weren't interacting with it regularly. Yeah. And a couple other notes I have here, just like, does Sabretooth even speak or get his powers explained? Does he actually have lines in this movie? Um, he... Maybe at the beginning. Because I remember, because this actor, I feel like, yeah, he is he an X2? No, I don't think he's an X2 at all. Okay, is he just yeah. in this one? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Toad um, is also left out of X2. Damn. Toad, uh, played by Darth Maul. Uh, oh, wait, not wait. the voice of Darth Maul. Oh, no, Ray wait, Park? that's not true. Yeah, I believe that's Ray Park. Whoa, what? Okay, hold on, hold on a sec. Um, yeah, that's Toad. That's, that's Ray, Ray Park? Park? Wow. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Maine, I believe his name is Tyler Maine, um, who plays Sabretooth uh, in in this movie. Uh, and I think of the two guys who play Sabretooth, like, I kind of like his look a lot more, mm-hmm. even if he's not really much of an actor. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like you know, he mostly grunts, but I feel like there is a moment or two where he has a line. Like, I think Jean Grey or somebody like does something to his brain and his like eyes go white and he just starts saying something that she's making him say or something like that. Uh, but yeah, he's mostly just like a guy that growls. Yeah. And it's funny that <laughs> they just, they ignore all the history with him and, and, uh, and Logan in this one. There's a lot of stuff they ignore in the first three, which is interesting. Um, Yeah. So well, like, I think with that one is, I mean, they never knew how successful they were going to be. Uh, and they like, that would just be a whole nother soap opera plot to like put in this one. Yeah. It's, a it's like Wolverine Origins wasn't uh canon yet. Uh, yeah. And also Wolverine wouldn't have remembered him. 
uh, at this point in the timeline. Yeah. 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 See other things. I mean, we we will talk about this later, but yeah, like, so they don't really establish why Logan likes Jean. It's just, it just seems like, oh, she's pretty and she's nice. Okay. Which is okay. Liking. Yes. But then like the way, the way he falls in love with her later, I'm like, no, nah, don't, that don't make sense. It don't make much sense. It feels very, it's like a dog. He's like a protective dog and he just like imprints on her, which feels like, I think that's a plot line in the Twilight book series <laughs> where he just like wakes up and he's, he sees her and he's like, Oh, you're an angel. And I'm in love with you. Um, to be fair. Um, everyone, most of the characters in the X-Men are kind of underdeveloped in this movie, other than like Wolverine rogue professor X uh, to the point where like Cyclops kind of just sucks and you don't get why Cyclops, why, why, why she would be with Cyclops. Right. He just, he seems like the preppy douche. <laughs> I mean, like they they hint at it with just like, oh yeah, they were the first two students, so of course, like they're like, you know, it's just you know the standard dumb thing of like they're good looking people in a situation where they're like they're, yeah. they're the only available people, anyways. So of course they would get together, kind of thing. It was, it's kind of like, it's it makes sense. It so it makes more logical sense than Logan, but I agree that's also underdeveloped. Like an actual like screen time and like chemistry, it's definitely underdeveloped. It doesn't make sense from that perspective, for sure. Yeah. I, I think the one thing I want to see in this movie uh, is, like, is I want to see the X-Men before Wolverine really gets there. Is I just want to see them, like, do a superhero thing so that, like, maybe Cyclops, Storm, and Jean Grey can all be characters by themselves as opposed to, like, it feels like they mostly exist in relation to Wolverine. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Which, like, I get why they went that route. Wolverine's cool. Uh, and, and also surrogate. like, yeah, exactly. He's yeah. an audience surrogate. Uh, he's, he's your entrance into the movie, but like, I don't know. Rogue is also kind of bad for this movie, at least for yeah. the rest of them. It's just Wolverine. Yeah. But like, uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, so other, like, uh, other notes on this is like, so the X-Men don't really feel like a team, um, in this one, not even between like the, the, the big, like the three that should, it should be a team, which is Gene Scott and storm. And I'll yeah. just say Aurora because that name doesn't get mentioned enough. But yeah, they, they don't even seem like a team no. when they're fighting. Toad like neutralizes all three of them before they kind of find their footing. And uh, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, they they don't really have that much team chemistry. They don't combine their powers all ver very well. The scene where um where they actually do try to they start becoming a team where they where I think Storm throws Wolverine into the into the top of the Statue of Liberty and Gene kind of stabilizes him. It's still kind of a little jank, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There is a, a lack of X-Men coherence within the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone else is more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So other things I wrote, love the Patrick Stewart voiceover in this one. Uh, Wolverine being cigar chomping is a little bit OTT on the, on the whole badass thing, quote unquote. Rogue's definitely audience surrogate, and then you kind of we miss Jubilee and Gambit, and then the big thing actually is that I feel is actually significant. Like these are all kind of just observations. The big thing is that like Logan healing Rogue the second time on on top of the tower is when he becomes a hero. Yeah, I think a lot of the movie is about him learning that the world needs him a little bit, yeah. or at least that he is a guy who can help the world. Yeah, uh, that's kind of his development. Is that like you know in the beginning he's a loner. He doesn't want to help this girl because that's not what he does. He, yep. he just kind of is living and the X-Men give him a purpose. Yep. 
to save yeah. the world. Yep. Yeah. Any uh, further thoughts that you have on X on uh, X one? Um, this will probably come up more with later movies, mm-hmm. but I really love the theme music to to this series. Uh, obviously, like X Men the animated series has a really great theme. It's a classic. Yep. Uh, it's a classic cartoon theme. But like, I think this series. Um, and we'll get to parts where where they change it, and I have negative and positive feelings mm-hmm. about that. But I really like the opening theme. You were talking about like the opening narration with with Charles Xavier. Yep. And I kind of love that with the theme where it just goes boo do 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 boo do do do, and then it just like goes through all the DNA sequences. Mm-hmm. I I just always yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, yeah. Um, I don't have much else to say. Um. Storm Aurora says, uh, she says, um, do you know what happens to toads in a lightning storm? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, and and then she says the same thing that happens to everything else. Uh, fun fact, couple fun facts. One, um, Joss Whedon wrote that line. <laughs> wow. OK. And has publicly been like, I'm so sorry, uh, <laughs> because that is a generally reviled line here's my controversial take it's a good line i like that line (laughs) i like i like that she says it i think once again this is an issue of those characters don't get enough characterization in this movie Mm -hmm. i think storm uh i wish we had gotten like a little bit better more better storm yeah uh and i feel like if she was more intimidating and imposing that would have been a great one-liner yeah yeah <laughs> and everyone would have loved it uh but i don't know uh maybe that's just me trying to have a hot take uh <laughs> I, I i think it was a fun line it, it was super corny and dumb but it was fun so i was like okay that's okay i i fine fine Th- that was kind of my reactions it's fine <laughs> it's just it got Very a chuckle out of me you know it's just like you know ott it's a silly line yeah, yeah. uh i mean joss whedon wrote it he was yeah. being he, he's classic for putting in a superhero quip yeah. Uh, um. Anything else on the first X Men movie? No, that's it for me. Yeah, I got all, everything that I basically all my notes. Yeah, I got all my notes out. Uh. Well, let's move on to the next one. Uh. X Two X Men United released yep. in two thousand three. Uh. Directed by a man I've mentioned. Um. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Professor Charles Xavier and the X Men face a rising tide of anti mutant sentiment led by Colonel William Stryker after a teleporting blue mutant makes an attempt on the president's life. After their school is placed under siege and students are kidnapped, the X-Men must join forces with their usual nemeses, Magneto and Mystique, to undermine Stryker's scheme to exterminate all mutants. Yep. And that's the summary, right? That is what I've got. That is the summary. Yep. Thoughts on the film X2. First thing was was just like from the beginning, it was like massive step up for the action. Because just from the opening scene is like, dude, the action, that opening scene has better action than the entire first movie. The Nightcrawler scene is a perfect action sequence. Yeah. It's great. Uh, it does everything. Like, it is a, you know what? One and two, they nail the opening sequence. They fucking, they nail it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I am trying to remember the opening sequence to the third one as, as I say that. But the first two are, they just like get you in right away. Oh, with man. a hook, either I, I, it's an action scene, huh? I'm trying to. Re- I am trying to remember that now. Okay, so okay, I remember what it is. I'll tell. We'll get to it when we get to it. I'll okay, you. cool. Um, no, I'll I, look in my notes. I'm pretty sure I remember. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the action is still a bit floaty, which is fine. I think it's a stylistic thing with these movies. You know, 
Um, next thing I wrote was Hugh Jackman looks noticeably more jacked in this one already. So it's just a little discontinuity with real life. And, I, and we've talked about this too. It's just like he gets, you know, because he's a real person in real life working out and it takes years to do that. He just gets notably, noticeably more jacked as time goes on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, he, he's becoming an action hero. Uh, and he's, as this becomes a franchise that becomes more expected of him. The point where I'm trying to think of like which which X Men is the most buffed Jackman is the most jacked Jackman. I feel like it might be Wolverine Origins, but I could I be. I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They may have toned it down a bit more. Um. Yeah. It's, it's still. Yeah. It's just interesting that. Yeah. You know. It's. I. I've always like. You know. When I after watching um the uh, animated series, I was like, why is he actually that buff? Because that's not his power, right? It's, his power isn't growing huge muscles. And I, was, it, and I was thinking, you know, this is my theory about it, which was like, oh, maybe because he heals so fast, he can just work out infinitely. That's true. His muscles, every time they tear, they just heal back up. Yep. Uh, he's like very in the cartoon and the comics. He's generally just like animalistic. Like he's got, you know, obviously he's got the claws and the healing, but also he's got like enhanced senses. He can smell better. Yep. Um, he, he can track people. Uh, and I think that probably also goes down a little bit to his strength, but also, you know, the fact that he's got the strongest metal you know, on earth in his bones um, makes him extra, though that wouldn't necessarily affect his buffness. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, one thing about the casting of Jackman in these movies is that like Wolverine in the cartoon and the comics is like noticeably, he's a short guy. Yeah. Uh, um uh and in and and Hugh Jackman is over six feet tall, which in Hollywood, uh being over six being six foot or above makes you a giant. Uh a lot of Hollywood actors are under six feet. Uh a lot of leading men who you wouldn't think uh, as being that short. Um and interestingly, <laughs> they can like like he's such a good Wolverine, but he also has this height that's like antithetical because like a lot of uh Wolverine's chip on his shoulder also comes from the fact that he looks kind of like a gremlin. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, he, just, yeah. on the casting choice on that, he's like, he's actually, he's a great Wolverine and he's like, he's he, he looks like, like facially, he, he looks like what I've seen on the animated series and his voice, like it's not, you know, all the way like gravelly, like all the time, bub type of thing, but it's, um, it's there. It's like, it's, you know, it's, um, it's a grounded version of that. Yeah. He's got like a he's he's always got like a bit of a world weariness. I've been watching a little bit of some of the other cartoons because I really grew up with like X Men Evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was my uh, my favorite one, and that one also had him having a bit of a a little bit of a growl. Um, yeah, to kind of like uh, though like Hugh Jackman's interpretation is it's iconic for a reason. It's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. He like <laughs> yeah he his yeah his acting performances through most of these like are like that was some of the highlights and and uh we'll get to it but like that's kind of part of what made x3 like palatable for me this time mm -hmm. so let's see yeah yeah we'll we'll get to that but i i think the performances were what kept me in, in that one yeah the, the, seeing those actors yeah um, exactly yeah yeah um and then, let's see let's see next thing i wrote was everybody's power levels got a bump so which is fun um, Charles immobilizing a bunch of people with his mind. John going ham, Pyro going ham on the police. 
And um, it's just like, it made me just think that like, because the actions and powers and the special effects were so much better on this one that the original was like under budgeted for that type of thing. This one had a budget of a hundred and ten to a hundred twenty million. Let me see what the last mm-hmm. one had. Um, whereas the last one had seventy five million. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say so maybe like definitely half, like two thirds. Yeah, they definitely got a bump up. Um, and I think one of the fun things about the X Men is just watching them to get to do like a little bit of a like every time they get to do like every character in every X Men story should get at least one flex. Like one moment where they get to show off their powers and be like, this is why my power is a badass power and I'm a cool character that you should be a fan of. Um, You get that right away with Nightcrawler just like uh, bouncing around, disappearing places. Uh, The the Magneto moment I mentioned with like uh, in X-Men 1 um, is pretty awesome. But like also you get a moment in this one. Oh, so good. where Where he does the prison escape which starts off as a mystique power flex yeah. where you just get to watch her just like use her power a bunch of ways to get him out. But then she injects iron into a guard. And then as soon as that guy walks in, you get this like, Oh, I didn't even think about iron in people's blood being something Magneto could control. Yeah. Um, And he just like turns it into little balls and kills it with kills this guy and just escapes prison as just an old man. And it's awesome. Dude, this Uh, is power flex. That scene was the like, from watching this movie before, that was the only thing I remember pretty much. It was that and then the mystique, um, like seducing Wolverine later, which is like kind of random. Um, but the the scene that like was burned into my brain from this movie was the was the Magneto escape because it was like, oh, it was the blood. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Like there's iron in people's blood and he, he sucks it out. And then he's just like it's just so effortless. He's just fucking walking. He's, he's Ian McKellen doing his like chill thing it's like this is not a problem for me at all i'm having fun with this shit it's like wrecking face with two metal balls just like that's it two metal balls that's it ian mckellen is straight up first of all the plastic prison is a great setup yeah uh, set piece in general uh i think it looks cool they've got plastic guns but ian mckellen is for me i think there are a lot of mvps in this franchise there's a lot of great actors i think ian mckellen is the one who is just selling it the most for me where he's just like he just like is just in the moment, just having fun. He knows that he doesn't need, he's an old man. He can just be a goofy old man. Um, uh, I say goofy because there's a moment in this movie where he and Mystique are on the uh, X jet with uh, the X-Men and they're just kind of sitting there and they're, they're kind of gossiping like yes. two like two friends yeah. and, and, uh, and Rogue looks at them and she's like, what are you guys talking about? And then, uh, one of I think I think Magneto is just like nice hair. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Commenting on the white streak that he gave her in the yeah. last movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like he he just brings like such presence to this movie. Um, he's like he is Magneto. He's great. Um, and we'll, we'll get to it later. Uh, they replace him with a capable guy. And, Dude, yeah. Uh, who's perfect. like he's also like fucking an MVP of the franchise too. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that. Um, yeah. I'd say I'd say like um, McKellen in one and two is great. Three is like the it, it's not his fault. I think it's the writing. Um, but uh, but then like I think Fastbender. I defer on that point. I yeah. defer on that yeah. point. I think he's like Ian McDarmid in uh, the prequels in The Last Stand, where he's just he's like I know this is garbage, but I'm gonna ham it up. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in in three. I mean, it's uh, fun. At least- 
I think I think his performance is fun. I just like don't like his character in three as much. So that's yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. Yeah. Yes. And then but Fastbender, like just just a preview of like we're gonna talk about later. Fastbender is strong in every single movie that he's in in this franchise. It's just yeah. like it's like super strong. Like, oh my god. He's I mean I we we keep saying we'll get to it later, but like he is in a different movie in first class. Like everybody else first class one of my favorite ones um but he is just like he's going all out he's going for like an oscar in that one and everyone else is like we're in a superhero movie we're 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 doing okay yeah yeah. um yeah uh so back to x2 um uh i'm very glad that 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 is the mo- that is the scene that imprinted on you is the yeah. prison escape because oh, that's the one I always so go back to. Good. It's so good, yeah. It's really great. Uh, the other scene that always gets like gets to me is because it's kind of horrifying if you think about it. Is just like the scene where uh, Striker, played by Brian Cox from Succession and yep. other things, um, uh, where he raids the uh, X Mansion. Yeah, which. Uh, most of the teachers are gone. There are pretty much no adults there. So he's basically, and he's just shooting tranquilizers at children. It kind of just like stuck with me because it's horrifying. Yeah. Um, uh, but Colossus gets a neat two second moment. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like, yeah. Like Colossus is some, uh, somebody I became a fan of through the animated series actually. Yeah. Yeah. He's more, definitely more Russian or more like Eastern European in the animated series. And, it's a cool it's a cool thing where it's like oh this is post cold war it's like we all rec- we finally recognize that like there's not everybody's the same type of russian type of thing you know but he showed up i think when he first showed up in the series the in the comics at least mm-hmm. cuz he showed up in the 70s uh so the cold war was still going on yeah. when he was first introduced and he was he was still like he, he was a very uh you know russian guy oh yeah so uh, bridging bridging that gap have, early huh have you uh we're we're not going to talk about the Deadpool movies uh, in, in this episode. Uh, we didn't watch them for this, but um, have you seen them? No, I, I haven't seen them. Okay, a lot of Colossus in at least the first one. He's mm-hmm. in the second one too, but he's kind of De- Deadpool's like X Men uh, contact in those. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so he's the main one you see in those. Yeah, uh, which is fun, and he's always in steel mode. He's always all metaled up. Uh-huh. Um, but like also Iceman gets a great moment in that of a little power flex where he just uh, makes a big ice wall that Wolverine can't get through. Oh, this is uh, in, uh, as part X2, of their right? statement. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going back to X2. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just this is the power flexes. Yeah. Uh, that I'm. Yep. Yeah. John. Uh, yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. The yeah Iceman for sure. I remember John's power flex with the police, which, you know, by the way, that scene, I mean, it's like. I was like, oh, my God, this is very, this is topical. This is extremely topical. So it's like, let's go just go over the scene. So first, it's kind of a weird, like, coming out allegory, as we say, right? It's definitely, it's very, uh, very much a coming out metaphor where they go to Bobby's house, yep. Bobby Iceman's house, mm-hmm. uh, to his parents who don't know he's a mutant yep. uh, while they're running away. And they're, um, they have to essentially out Bobby to his parents and yep. his brother. Yeah. Like, um, we still love you, and, you know that, you know this. Yeah, haven't you tried not being a mutant? Right, is, I believe something her mo- his mom says. Uh, that's um, his dad, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, um, and he shows off his power by freezing her coffee. Uh, and then his brother goes upstairs 
uh, he, he storms off. Yep. And he goes upstairs and calls the cops. Which is, uh, yeah, that's very topical because, um, I mean, the Cooper, yeah, the Cooper's incident. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely, um, cause it was a moment where, you know, the, 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 I believe the like, police officer came up to them with his gun drawn, just like terrified of them. Uh, yep. In what is, what should not be how, uh, police very much escalating the situation yep um uh yeah so just yeah. just to no, cover this first though, just to cover <laughs> just to cover one thing first the so first the call was like yeah people calling cops on on um on other people and especially you know in this in this um in this context it's like african-americans yeah that that being a thing and uh being used as a threat or just kind of in this case uh the the brother is just kind of jealous or just um vindictive and he's just like, I'm going to call the cops on you, not realizing what would escalate into, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, because or perhaps knowing. And yeah. Yeah. Um, Wolverine goes out on the porch and the police officer's like, put your knives down. And he's, he's like, I can't. They're, they're part of my hand. And then he shoots Wolverine, but Wolverine is an invincible man. So uh, gunshot didn't kill him. It also did not make him uh, lose all his memories. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't which, an enemy. Uh, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a little uh, bit of retconning going on there, but yes. Yeah, so, um, but the, the, for me, like the the part that made it very topical. I mean, yeah, of course, like the police, just the use of police force and the the, the use of lethal force is part of it. But it's just the suddenness. It's just like he goes from just like moving very slowly to just boom, he's shot, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Uh, it was very weird watching that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, yep. just having like current events in mind and thinking, oh yeah, this is something that's always a little bit relevant, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, you know, Pyro kind of escalates the situation and uses his flames in in cool ways and blows up like blows up a cop car. Uh, or multiple of them, from what I remember. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, more of that effects money that they got too. Yep. Yep. Um, let's see. So what else I've got about this? So yeah, that's that scene. Um, very topical. Let's see. Uh, random side thing is Yuriko, who's like barely touched on. She's just a random enemy. Lady Deathstrike. Yeah. But in the animated series and presumably the comics, she's like Wolverine's former lover. You know, again, one of those things that would have complicated it too much and just introduced an extraneous plot. But I definitely noticed that this time because of seeing the animated series. Yeah, she's weirdly I'm not that familiar with the animated series, but uh, she's a character that I mostly only know because of the animated series. Mm-hmm. I remember like a haircuttery I went to had the episode that uh, she showed up in and I like watched that as a kid back when you were a kid and the TV was on while you're getting haircuts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, she's very much just like kind of a her thing is that she has the same powers essentially, but you know, what always sticks out another moment in this movie that always sticks with me is when he overloads her with adamantium. Yeah. You just like see it bleeding out her as she dies essentially out of her eyes. Yeah. yeah. Out of her. Yeah. Uh, that was always terrifying to me. (laughs) It was always striking. Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it's like she just FYI on the animated series. It's, um, the season two opener arc, which is two episodes or season three opener arc which is two uh-huh. episodes, that's where she That's where she is in the animated series. 
Hmm. So just just you know, this is this is kind of like you talking about comics tangents, but it's like the the story is basically semi spoilers. But you you know, it's just that uh, she's his former lover. Then she then he goes off. I forget why, but to get the but to get the animanium in him, and then as he breaks out, he kills one of the scientists who was her father, actually. Oh. So now she's So now she's got like a vendetta against him. Yeah, yep. Okay. But he's still like, ah, oh, but you know, I don't want to let you go type of thing, you know. This so Wolverine being Wolverine about that. Um, let's see. I have uh, to check that. Yeah. So uh other notes I've got about this one, and we are like already at an hour, which is amazing, but you know, there's a lot to talk about. Oh so yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll just breeze through some of these. I think as I said that Rogue Bobby John are a bit underutilized. Rogue's scream gets annoying in this one, and then, but at the same time, her rescue with a jet, like just crash landing, like it's sliding on the on the ice, was was kind of fun. Um, let's see, Magneto, you know, we talked about that escape scene, which is awesome. Um, plan to invert Cerebo was pretty brilliant, playing both games. Um, you know, playing both to save the mutants and then also kill all the humans type of thing. Yeah, uh, and also that weird uh, illusionary uh, reality that Stryker's kid puts him in. Yeah, uh, to make him believe that what he's doing is good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who also Jason Stryker? I wrote as super creepy, very serial killer type of vibe. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, quick moment of just comics context. Mm-hmm. This particular movie is based off of what I think is like the quintessential like best just quick X-Men story called God loves man kills Mm -hmm. about the evil reverend, uh, William Stryker, who, um, is basically making professor X do something along the lines of this. And he killed his son as a child when his son came out of mutant, uh, like right at birth. Yeah. It's, uh, but like, it's really, it's a good story. Uh, and I think it like is a good thesis statement for what the X-Men are about as superheroes, uh, in just like a one graphic novel mm. thing. Um, uh, yeah, just wanted to say that. Keep going through your notes. Yeah. yeah. So let's see. Uh, I said, uh, okay, we're just going to ignore Todd, Toad and Sabretooth. Okay. Not terrible, but just, <laughs> just a note that they're absent. Very obvious when you watch them pretty much back to back Colossus, just, you know, just Colossus, um, Jason striker, super creepy. We covered that. So, oh, the other, how exactly do people break Stryker's mind control other than just waiting long enough? So it's not very super clear. Like, he mind controls um, Cyclops in this one, and I forget, maybe a couple of other people, but Cyclops is the one that kind of stood out in this case. It's just like, oh, like, he just miraculously breaks the mind control at some point, you know? Maybe it's because he was, like, fighting Jean in that scene, so I guess you could say, like, her psychic powers broke through or something. Yeah, not super clear uh, as far as inside yeah. the movie, but yeah, you know, I, you know, okay, I get that now. Um, other notes, Scott is sidelined for most of the for most of the movie, and Storm and Jean also, like, took forever in screen time to get Nightcrawler. So they were just, like, out for a long time, too. It is... Just like as an X-Men fan, I mean, I've always really liked Cyclops. Storm's a great character. Um, Like Jean, Nightcrawler, they're all like important X-Men characters. And I like Wolverine a lot, but it does bug me that this movie, and I get that like Hugh Jackman is obviously given a great performance and a great iconic performance, but like it's in the writing and the directing as well, where it is just kind of his story. Uh, and like as an X-Men fan, there's a part of me that just wishes that they would give more to do to these classic characters to make them more interesting. I think they do some things in, in later ones that 
improve it a little bit, but yeah, I don't know. It's one of my chief complaints and I get why it happened, but I just wish. Yeah. Whenever they reboot them for the Marvel cinematic universe, which of course they'll do. Yep. Cause I think like, especially because you're not going to get a Hugh Jackman, uh, right away. You can't guarantee Hugh Jackman, like maybe put a little effort into everyone else. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anything more on X2, Jean Grey dies at the end, but then we get the tease of the yeah, phoenix in the water. Tease, yeah, definitely very different from... Uh, okay, so a few small things on there. So last notes I have are just... Um, yeah, again, like you said, Storm underutilized, Scott underutilized, Charles underutilized. Um, and they're great actors, so it's just like, come on, come on, guys. You have like these like big-name actors that, that yeah. are playing these people, so it's kind of... Yeah. Uh, that's that's frustrating. So the other note was um, so Gene uh, saving everybody. Uh, okay, Phoenix def- obviously different from the animated series of how that happens. It's still a moment of like you know saving everybody, um, and it's just it's just different in different contexts and different reasoning. It just you know we'll you know we can get to that later. It, it almost feels to me in this one like they were like okay we have to kill her so that we can do the Phoenix thing in the next movie. Yeah. Uh, so we're just gonna. You know, this is the scene where we can kill her. So we're going to kill her in this scene. Yeah. It's kind of what it felt like to me. Yeah. And uh, uh, one really random note is that this is in one of the cartoon, one of the Star Wars cartoons, the um, the the kind of the setup, the, the, the kind of feel of the scene where it's like one person's holding back like a flood of something and then like the uh, trying to save the other people that that they like or that they care about. And then uh, they have to sacrifice themselves. So. It a uh, so, very small spoiler. You won't really get the context, but you'll, you'll if you watch the the cartoons, you'll know it when you see it. And like I I didn't realize that that was that you know it may be in other places too. But like watching watching X two again, I was like oh like that scene from that cartoon was a reference to this possibly because it's very very similar. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I feel like that's like uh, I guess this isn't the sacrifice thing. But like that's kind of biblical. It's kind of like a little bit Moses uh, walking, like parting the Red Seas a little bit, uh, imagery-wise. Uh, and then he uh, yeah. b parts them to get the chasing Egyptians. Like I feel like that's an image that uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's a direct reference in the. Uh, yeah, it could be. It could either. be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, it could. Like I said, it, that's what I was saying. It probably went. Maybe went further. But oh, it was like they. They all. They, that moment in the Star Wars cartoon is a, is of the same like dna as that moment in X2, absolutely basically. yeah yeah uh shall we move on yeah to, x3 uh, yeah. uh x x-men the last stand yeah. 2006 now directed by um i'm just gonna skip his name uh <laughs> when a cure for mutation is found lines are drawn amongst the x-men and the brotherhood as all of this is happening an ally once thought dead reemerges. And mutants on both sides are forced to reconcile her new form. Uh, quick note on this one, just for my personal context, mm-hmm. is, and I uh, was Facebook chatting you a little bit about this. Yeah. Is that historically, this one has always been my least favorite. Yeah. And I skipped it when I was initially rewatching them. And then right after I skipped it and I was like already watching the next one, you texted me something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, this one was pretty good. And I hadn't seen it in nearly 10 years, probably. Yeah. So when I finished everything, I figured, okay, at this point I have to, I'll go back, I'll watch it. Um, and it, I will, I'll say, I still don't like it. 
it is not my least favorite. Right. It's not even my second least favorite. It is my third least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there are things I like in it. Um, we, you, it was just nice to see the actors, the old actors, and just like see them do stuff. And like yeah. I said, Ian McKellen is kind of hamming it up. Yeah. Uh, Hugh Jackman's kind of fun. I kind of bought him and Gene a little bit more in this one. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely a complaint I've had in other ones. Yeah. Um, there are certain things I, I don't like. Um, the reason Cyclops dies so early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. so he dies and then he's just gone and everyone's like, Oh, Cyclops died. And then like two scenes later, professor X is gone and they're like, Oh, this is the one we're actually sad about. Um, yeah. Yeah. but also we'll include Cyclops at the funeral just because we know he's important. Um, James Martin Marsden, um, left the movie essentially yeah to go with the original director of the last two movies to do superman returns uh cyclops is essentially in a lot of ways he is the kind of like the mascot of the x-men he's like kind of one of the main x-men who's just always been there from the very beginning yeah he's very much the leader in a lot of ways uh and i think it says something about his role in these movies (laughs) that uh james marston was like i'm gonna abandon this so that i can be uh the husband of Lois Lane, who is eventually cuckolded by Superman in the <laughs> Superman movie. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I don't, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Maybe that's what yeah. he's into. <laughs> uh, another, an, another negative note. Cause I was mentioning that I really like the theme music for these mu- movies. Yeah. And it really stood out to me in rewatching this one. Yeah. They changed the mute. They changed the music. They changed the theme. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't feel like the X-Men. I don't think you should change theme music unless you're doing something that's a reboot. Okay, I don't know okay. if it's that, if it's that good and that iconic, keep it there unless you're doing a reboot, which is why I'm okay with it in first class. And also the first class soundtrack honks. It's a good soundtrack. Mm. I'll get into that. I listen to it constantly. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that was just a quick. Sorry, your notes. Yeah, on also my context. Game. This is one I actually have notes for. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just my context as well on this is that like I remember see like when I first saw it, and again I don't remember if it was in theaters or not. But when I first saw this, I was like, man, this is really bad. <laughs> like that was my memory from before. Like before this rewatch is like this is pretty bad. Like what the fuck is going on? And like I, you know, when I was you know chatting you about this originally, I was like, man, I'm, I might just skip this. It's like I remember it being bad, whatever. So fuck it. Um, when I watched it again, I was like, man, I actually enjoyed it. And and um, and when we talked about it, I reflected on this, and I was like, there's a bunch of like things wrong with this movie, and there's a there's definitely still a bunch of things wrong with this movie. I still agree with that, and I you know I I can recognize those things, and I was trying to and like. And in the first time we talked about it, I was like, you know, I just watched it and I was just thinking, yeah, I still like it, even though the, all these things, you know, I didn't remember why exactly. And then when I, when we finished watching this, when we finished, when we came back to it and we talked about it again, I'm like, man, like all my notes are just bad things. Why did I like this movie? <laughs> and then and uh, that, that's when I realized, and this is the point for, I think, is that like what I like about this movie is... Um, the actors' performances, and specifically Hugh Jackman, makes it like actually land for me in, when I watched it. Um, like basically, it's, it's watchable. Yeah, it's a watchable movie because of the performances compared to 
a couple other movies in this franchise uh, <laughs> uh, that are worse. Uh, I think this one is like it moves. It's it's easy, an easy watch, right? Because so, you buy the performances. Yeah, yeah. Like like that. Like you said, how you bought Gene and Logan in this one. I was like, oh yeah. Like I bought it in this one because. I, the, the scene I remember is that when uh, when she wakes up and they have that little role reversal from the first movie, it's like the way he looks at her. I was like, this dude loves this girl. Um, yeah. Like whether or not it's established in like why and all that stuff, it's not established. Sure, but like his performance made me believe that. Um, and I think I was like texting you a little bit about this while I was watching it. But Professor X also says something that just kind of like unlocked in my head. Oh, I I guess I get the attraction there, Mm -hmm. uh, which is not just like him looking at her, but it's also, you know, in this version of Jean Grey, the Phoenix is something locked within her mind. It's essentially something that's always been a part of her. And it's like a caged animal inside of her uh, that has been hidden away from her. Uh, And that's kind of Wolverine's whole deal is that he is, he is like um, a person who has the potential to lose control and hurt people yeah. uh, in his whole life is about um, guarding himself from doing that. Um, uh, basically they're both guarding themselves from their animal instincts. So yeah. I don't know, you can make sort of a reverse uh, leap of just like, Oh, they, that's uh, what he initially sensed in her. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I get that. Yeah. I, I totally get that. That was a really interesting pickup for, for, yeah, for like a theory that you threw out. And yeah, again, it's like those things that, um, aren't stated in the text explicitly, but you know, it's like, okay, oh yeah, it's a cool thing. You know, you wish you that it would have been acknowledged in the text at the same time. It's like, okay, I, I can, it gives it a little bit more credence to it. You know, the whole gene gray. Have you seen the movie frozen? I actually haven't like, uh, this is uh, I'm outing myself as not having seen frozen. I, I you're fine. Not yeah. having it's, it's good. Yeah. Uh, you got the time. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, the whole gene gray, uh, I think it's actually pretty fun. It's cute. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've heard, like, um, dude, like, I'm in musical improv. Everybody, like, loves that movie in musical improv. <laughs> That's why I'm saying I'm outing myself. It's like I'm one of the few people that hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, It's it's good. Yeah. Uh, and it's also the plot of this movie, at least the Jean Grey part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit, except she doesn't die at the end. Uh, where, where, you know, somebody gets powers and is, is forced to reject them by her father figure. Uh, and, um, and then eventually she lets them go. Yes. She, she lets it go and goes all out. Uh, I believe my notes have something of like, Oh, frozen did this story better. Uh, uh and also <laughs> so I've definitely seen, do you know those, how it should have ended, uh, videos on YouTube? I've maybe they, seen like, a couple, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The one they did for frozen, I believe was just professor X coming to pick her up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is not an original idea by me, yeah. um, but uh, we were talking about the opening to this one earlier. Yes, I'm, and I remembered. I'm, I'm here to remind yeah. you what it was, which is they're in the danger room fighting a sentinel off, sc- which was mostly off screen, and just like shits flying at them. That's what I remember as the opening scene. That's is that not right? the opening. Oh, okay. No. What is the opening? That's the opening to the present day portion. Uh, oh, the opening is there. Then- are two openings. Yes. First, they do 20 years ago. This bo- this is what bothers me. Is they go 20 years ago. Uh, and they're like, okay, here's Professor X and Magneto picking up Jean Grey. Yes. And then you get that quick scene, and then, like, two seconds later, it's like, now 10 years ago. I kind of hate when movies do that at the beginning, where they're just like, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 
in the near future. Just like it just feels like a little bit of whiplash. Just yeah, yeah. It's the Worthington goes. scene, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, they go to the Worthington, scene, which I think is a good scene. Um, uh, and it's something like I, I, I've heard stories of people who are a little bit like like it is a it is a story of uh, somebody self harming themselves because they're ashamed of themselves because they're in a bit of an abusive uh, father-son relationship where he's kind of shaving off his wings. Yeah. Um, the X-Men is uh, just, it, it is an allegory for just like anybody who has been persecuted and oppressed uh, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And I, and I think like moments like that do um, really track well um, yeah. in, in the movies, uh, even if they're, you know, hard to watch. Uh, I think, I, I think that is a decent, uh, moment even if i don't like the pacing of how they put it in there yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. i totally get that for sure yep okay yeah let's see other so let's see other notes about this uh let's see i was like i enjoyed the sentinel reference um and one thing to backtrack a tiny bit about it, it was um mystique was really heavily featured in x2 actually i just note like and so i i was wondering was like what did she was she mocapped or was it makeup or like how did they do that you know i i'm uh I believe so. I know because I know there was a lot of talk about what happened when Jennifer Lawrence um, yeah. took over that role because there were some complications with her ability to get in the particular makeup for it. I believe it is full body makeup. Okay. Uh, Rebecca, Ramjin, I'm right? going to butcher her name. Ramjin, yeah. Um, I don't know if that pronounced that right, but I mean, okay. That makes uh, it easy to look up at least who that is. Yeah. Um, uh, she is a actress and a model, yeah. which I think makes her a little bit more accustomed to, you know, actresses and models have to do different things. Uh, sometimes they are, sometimes you are an actress and a model. Sometimes you're more of a model. I think she comes from a bit more of a modeling background where she is a little bit more comfortable getting on set and getting those like that makeup on. Um, whereas Jennifer Lawrence doesn't come so much from that background. I know um, the, the star of Batwoman, the, the woman who plays Batwoman in the TV show just quit the show. And I think a lot of it was because she comes from a bit of a uh, this is the opposite thing where she comes from a modeling background and like wasn't used to the uh, act acting schedule. Um, yeah. Um, though it, it does say in Rebecca. Uh, Romaine. Oh, Romaine. OK, well, I definitely okay. don't have that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I butchered that. Well, at it, least it lists, uh, makes it easy to look up. <laughs> Yeah. Um, just to clarify, she's an American actress and former model. So she builds herself as an actress. It's just like she does have, I, I think, um, you know, having that modeling background. Being a model isn't easy. Uh, it's got it's got its uh, it's got its skill sets. Yeah, uh, I think it's something that people don't think of having those skill sets. But in the case of somebody who needs to wear a full body suit, uh, full body makeup for a whole movie, like that's when you want to model. Um, right. Uh, and of course in this movie, she gets that taken away from her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my, my notes that was leading to that, I uh, reverted to talking about X2 a little bit was, um, uh, hot damn cold blooded in the words of tiny Tina from borderlands. Hot yeah. damn cold blooded. And that was, that was a character turn that I did not like for Magneto in this one, which is that he, just yeah. became, he becomes super cold blooded in this one. He's just like, he becomes yeah. full on villain, full on cold blooded, full on. Like these are the pawns. I mean, he says like, interest the pawns go first, you know, type of thing. 
Yeah, because like kind of the, the thing that makes Magneto compelling is generally the fact that, yes, he is a villain, but you see where he's coming from. Yeah. So when you see him in this where he's full on chess master, like unfeeling like that, especially to Mystique, you know, I there's a part of me that gets it of like he doesn't want to deal with humans at all. So now he doesn't now he sees her as a human. But she literally did that. If If the way he is seeing it is probably of just like, oh, she gave up her life. She killed she sacrificed her life for me. Now she is dead to me. Um, but also like, dude, at least take her with you and just like, maybe get her some clothes and get her set up just, and then be like, Hey, thank you for doing that. But you're a human now. Um, can't, I just can't, um, you know, uh, instead of literally just like leaving her on the ground and just being like, fuck her. Yeah. I got the juggernaut on my side. Now. Yeah. And like the history <laughs> from the previous movies. And obviously we don't see this yet, but you know, the history presumably from, you know, their previous adventures that gets actually gets touched on in like first class, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's like, there's a lot of history there. I mean, even in just X one and two that just like, Oh, it's out the door. You're a human. Fuck you. You know, I was like, damn, hot, damn cold blooded, man. When they reveal that she gave up the information on him uh, to the government, yeah. part of me was like, yeah, fuck yeah, give up the information yeah. on him. Because he, that's not cool. Magneto, what are you doing? Yeah, dude. What what? Doing? Come on. Where, where did you become such a dick? Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, probably when he was doing other evil things. But like, right. you know, you, you had, right, just, it was very much of like, yeah. And even when he's treating actual mutants like pawns, that's even, that's an extra level of cold blood because yeah. his whole thing is that these are people, not um, not pawns. Uh, yeah. Humans are pawns to him. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that I really love in this movie, and I feel like I've been vocal about this to you, is uh, Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Yeah, 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 just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good. Uh, I love it so yeah, yeah. much. He doesn't get that much screen time. And I also, I didn't pick up that it was him until maybe like seeing him like for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he's, he, it's like the perfect character for that. He's just, oh, yeah. he's, it's a great casting choice. It's like, if you've seen Frasier, it's like, oh, it's Frasier, but also like he doesn't have time to fuck around kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frasier is the perfect choice for that character. He's yep. Beast is, uh, dude, full disclosure, just one of my favorite uh, X-Men. Yeah. Uh, and so seeing him just like fully realized in that state, uh, uh, cause like what's fun about him is that he's this animal guy who sometimes hangs upside down while he's reading, yeah. which is how they introduce him. Uh, but also he's like very erudite when he speaks, he talks like he's Frazier. He talks like exactly. he's like, you're dumb. That that's how he talks is he's like, I am smarter than you. Yeah. yeah that's exactly. how he talks. Yeah. Totally. Um, and that's fun. I also like that Katie Pride is like actually in this one because yeah. that's one of my other favorite X Men. Full disclosure. Oh, uh, and, and, and actually, that's one of the moments that I was like, oh, the there was this, this was an actor moment that like was really cool, and I enjoyed it in the um in the in the movie, which was um when Bobby and her go for go for a skate, you know. That is very nice. But in talking about out of character dick moments from characters in this yeah, movie, yeah, uh, everything I uh, Iceman Bobby does to Rogue. Uh, it's just like, what? Why did I get that yes. you're supposed to be a teenager and not understand? But like, are you really that dense? Are you that dumb? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, yeah, yeah. That's definitely, um, like the in, in the plot, it doesn't work. But as a character moment or as a moment for actors to like oh, just have I, a lot of fun, it's yeah. great. Yeah. The yeah. the ice skating, like that's one of the scenes from that movie that always sticks in my brain. 
um because it's a good it's number one it's a good use of his powers and number two it's like a great character moment where you know it's a moment of quiet you you you've been saying that these these are movies that like live and die on their quiet moments yeah. their quiet character moments and that's one of them for sure yeah it's one of them yeah, and just to touch on Rogue, she's she's sidelined for most of this movie, which oh. is kind of weird. Um, at the same time, the her wanting the cure is like it tracks from the animated series and makes sense for her character. And like it just it just it's one of those things. Her in these movies, it's like she doesn't really, she barely uses her power in this, and it's mostly a drawback in these movies. It's like it's very and it's kind of funny too because even in the animated series, she doesn't use her actual actual Rogue power. She she uses her she just Ms. Marvel, uses her super, yeah, yeah, which is basically Superman stuff. She just flies around, super strong and super durable. Um, she just uses that, and it's like she doesn't really use the the actual, you know, the touch stealing thing. I, I kind of almost feel like they haven't, because like I think it would make a lot of structural sense in this movie to have found a way to get her on that island for the final battle. Yeah. Of just be like, you know, maybe they took her in and they were experimenting on her or something. Yeah. And then she gets released for that final battle. But I think something, because she doesn't have those Ms. Marvel powers in this, in this movie is maybe they just like kind of gave up when it came to figuring out how to use her powers in an action scene. Yeah. Uh, uh, like obviously it's plot central to the first X-Men, but it feels like they kind of just gave up on her, which sucks. Cause uh, this is, you know, at the point that this movie came out, this was the end of a three movie trilogy. This was the end of it. This was all there was. And um, she was kind of like, she was kind of the, one of the main characters in the first one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, would have been cool to give her her shot. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So the other notes about this, uh, let's see, choosing the cure, um, dramatic irony of, uh, actually, so before that, actually, Professor, Professor, yeah, Charles being a bit of a dick to Logan when he accidentally unleashes Gene. This is actually something very interesting that ties into my theory about the alternate universe of of Days of Future Past. So, so it's just, I'm just going to say that. It's like, I noticed that he was a he was a dick to Logan. He's like, do you know what you've done? And it's like, like that's not the Charles I knew from the first two movies, man. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's a moment, and it's interesting, I think. Um, and it definitely, like... When we talk about the um, Dark Phoenix and Days of Future Past timeline, you will like mm-hmm. you will definitely hear my theory and like you'll you I think you'll get it. I think you'll like it actually. So, um, but just to leave that as a seed for like okay, just remember that that was a thing. Yeah, you have been teasing this to me all week, and yeah. I can't wait to hear it. It is like I it's um it's I think it's really cool. So, anyways, uh, other things, uh, other notes. Uh, let's see, uh, Jean Grey dusting people. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, she did that before Thanos was. <laughs> that is what she does to people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to Professor X. Yep. Damn, Thanos just stealing other people's stealing. tricks. Yeah. So you, of course, uh, Magneto getting depowered. He's finally like everybody else. You know, it's like poetic justice. It was, it was, it's a bit cheesy, but you know, I, I got the idea, and you know, the, the idea landed. Even if the scene kind of was like, ah, it's cheesy. Um, the number of mutants was over the top on this one. I feel like they just wanted to have like a massive blot with everybody included. Just overstuffed in general, you know? Yeah. And uh, then they just kind of used them however. And some of them just like most of the people that was were on Magneto's team seemed kind of lame. Yeah. Uh, and they used, they used one of my other favorite mutants and they didn't use him at all in the way that his character acts in the comics, but they used his power, which is a cool power. They multiple man. 
Oh, right. Man. Yeah. Jamie Madrax. Um, another thing that I see I wrote in my notes that just relates to something we were talking about earlier with the way Magneto acts about mutants in this one yeah. is when they're going after. So the, the cure to the mutants is this mutant called Leech. Who, um, he, he has a mutant power and his mutant power is that he cancels out other people's mutant powers. Yeah. Uh, and when they're on Alcatraz trying to go after and, 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 and get the cure, at one point Magneto says, go inside and get the boy and kill it, which just like uh, felt yeah. very anti-Magneto to like dehumanize or I guess demutinize like a fellow mutant like that, even if their power is being used for that. Like, I feel like it's in his thing of just like, like this whole movie kind of did make him a bit of a dick. Cause yeah. I do feel like the whole thing with Magneto is he is, he, he believes in all mutants. Uh, um, he just hates humans. Uh, and so whenever he does like throw another mutant under the bus, just like willy nilly like that, it always irks me a little. Yeah. That bothered me about his characterization. And this it's one of the many things, like we said, you know, between mystique, the pawns, and then, yeah, how he treats Jimmy, um, refers to him. Yeah. That's that it bothered me about him. Um, on the same bit of this though, on the same subject though, like his bridge play was like a pretty cool set piece. And at the same time, I recognize that, if you've seen it, it probably gets old the second, the, the other, the next couple times you see it. So I, was, I think the, the the part of that where they are literally moving the Golden Gate Bridge to to Alcatraz and watching it float over and land, that is really cool. Yeah, I think once it's there, uh, then it loses all coolness. Also, literally as they walk off the bridge, this has never been more noticeable to me before. Is as they walk off the bridge, it goes immediately one shot. It's day. And then literally the next shot, it's dark as night, uh, which was just, I realized that's very nitpicky, yeah. but it was just so blatant. Uh, well, yeah, well, me for, me, for me, the bridge play was actually a little bit like you could see some where they green screened it. Like uh, now that yeah. I have the eyes to see that, I see, I, it felt kind of obvious the times where they, um, they did that. And, uh, you know, I, I like the ambition and the, the idea of it. And like, again, the, basically I was seeing it for the first time because I did not remember it when I watched it before. And I was like, dude, I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's a really cool thing to do. Um, let's see. Other notes. Uh, I, I, There was a couple of times I enjoyed the music. Um, I think the whenever Jean is phoenixing, it's like that music I don't think fits fits what she's doing. But I uh -huh. enjoyed the music on its own merits when she did that. I, yeah. I didn't necessarily dislike the music yeah. when I said that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's still like a decent theme. It's just the fact that they completely abandoned the other theme that bothers yeah. me. Is I think if they had worked it in as like, this is this specific movie's theme, but we also have the overarching franchise theme, which they do bring back that theme. They never bring back the the Last Stand theme, but they bring back the original X-Men theme uh, when that director I don't like comes back to, to do more. Right. Uh, and then they just keep using it. Um, yeah. Uh, any more thoughts? I'm starting to think maybe we should try and be briefer about these next few, even if we split them up, split this up into two episodes. Yeah. Well, here's uh, a, um, just an idea, just an idea. It's like, maybe we talk about this and then we, maybe we do all the recording in one session. And then, then, cause I, I do want to talk about this a lot. Actually, it's, I'm pretty yeah. excited to talk about it. So maybe we split the releases, but we talk about it all at once. Maybe. I have the space oh. for that for sure. Do you have the time for that? 
No, I, I definitely do. I'm mm. just saying that, like, even if we do do that. Yeah, we, we spent uh, a lot of time on this shit already. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so let me let me finish up on this a little bit, which is uh, other random thought is that Juggernaut is not Charles's brother in this one, which I now know because of the animated series. And I, I enjoyed the double cliffhanger of both Magneto having a little bit of chess piece moving power. Like, he... he I love Ian McKellen in that little scene. He's just like so sad, but he's like, uh, he's got a little bit, it moves a little bit. You're like, oh shit. And then um, Charles in the new body was like, okay, I like, I enjoyed that little, uh, little thing there. So what's the next one is, um, do we, do we cover uh, origins next? Uh, I, I think we should go in chronological order, which would mean, uh, yeah, origins. Origins. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, which is one that I also initially skipped. So that's the end of part one. Uh, tune into the next part, part two, for Origins Wolverine through uh, the end of uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Catch you on the next one.